Well, good morning, Summit. You look great. Welcome to spring break. Some folks have already broken. I'm glad you're here. Did you get your coffee? You know, we ought to have waiters and waitresses going up and down the aisle. Would you like a coffee, sir? What would you like? That'd be nice. Hey, I'm game. I'm wide open. Nothing in the Bible prohibits drinking coffee or serving it in church. I love it. I mean, just think, we have a cafe. It's common today in most of the growing churches across the world, actually, a cafe. Why didn't anybody in my generation think about a coffee shop in church? Wouldn't that be cool? Or some music that was worth listening to. That would have been nice. No wonder nobody wanted to go to church much. But I'm sure glad you got up. You know, the government can steal an hour from us, but they can't steal our joy. So thank God. I'm yawning. I'm sleepy too. And it's probably psychological. It's only an hour. It's got to be psychological, but you still does this weird stuff to you. Like, gee, I've, I've missed a whole day. You know, no, just an hour, just an hour. So it's going to be okay. So slap yourself, stay awake, and you're going to enjoy the ride. We're in part two of our brand new series called Daring to Live Now. And today I'm going to talk about how to unmask this stealer of your potential and future called the Someday Syndrome. I want to suggest that the most dangerous word in the English language is not a word of profanity. It is the word someday. Someday. I'll be the father I've always intended to be. Someday, I'll quit complaining and learn to be grateful. Someday, I'll get in shape. Someday, I'm going to slow down and start enjoying my children. Someday, I'll learn the Bible. Someday, I'll be generous. Someday, I'll take more risks. Someday. And you discover someday is not a day of the week, and it just never comes. People live their entire life waiting on that stupid thing called someday. Someday when I graduate, someday when I get a job, someday when I get more money, someday when I'm happy, someday when I get married, someday when I get divorced, someday when I have children, someday when the kids move away, someday when I retire, someday I'll stop waiting and start living. Today is the only day you've got. So God wants you to live it bold, live it full, live it large, and live it now, not someday. So let me talk about that, of occupying this present moment completely and fully right now. Yesterday's gone, not a thing you can do to bring it back. Tomorrow's not here yet, it might not come. You only have this moment. Frederick Beatner writes this, quote, In the last analysis, all moments are key moments, and life itself is grace. Every moment, the big, obvious, dramatic ones, and the real small, apparently insignificant ones, every moment of life is key. Every moment is precious. Every one is God's gift to you and me, and we've got to learn to live in it. Now, the alternative is to live for someday that never comes. And my guess, in this room or any large group of people, there's a fair amount of someday syndrome, just kind of waiting to live. Our word for it is procrastination, putting stuff off, 
just living or waiting for that magic someday. So let me give you a quiz. Have you ever procrastinated? Ever had a project around the house you intended to do, but you still haven't done it yet? Ever put off writing a letter, making a call that you knew you had to do? Ever delayed making a doctor's appointment because you were afraid something might be wrong with you? That's very intelligent. Uh, have you ever been late for an appointment or a church service? I can answer that one for a lot of you. Ever, ever gone Christmas shopping December 14, 24th? Ever mail in your income tax April 15th? Ever put off going a diet because it wasn't Monday yet? Did anyone intend to procrastinate, but you just haven't got around to it yet? <laughs> Procrastination is the failure to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. Because even a right decision is the wrong decision when you make it too late. It's still wrong. So you can procrastinate even if you're a real busy person. You think about it. You should do it. You plan on doing it. You want to do it, but you just don't actually do it. You're like the kamikaze pilot who flew 17 missions. He was a seven. <laughs> he was a busy guy, but he just didn't do what he was supposed to do. And some of you suffer from someday syndrome in subtle ways. Your life feels hectic. You're always behind. You're constantly in a rush. Details kind of fall through the cracks. Some of you suffer from it in major ways. Some of you have lost jobs because of it. Maybe you've suffered financial setback because of it, because you don't do what you need to do when it needs to be done. Or you've suffered relational heartbreak because of it. And I think the biggest problem with procrastination, the someday syndrome is, it just robs you of living right now. You don't want to end your life with coulda, shoulda, woulda. What a dumb way to live. Don't do it. Grab, suck all the gusto you can out of life. Seize every moment. Live it as big as you can because God doesn't even give you a promise of tomorrow. You spend your whole life assessing what you should have done or what you ought to have done in the future, and you fail to hear God's voice in this moment. You don't feel God's touch in this moment. And the danger is you'll never become what God intends you to be. Procrastination is really a sneaky kind of subtle way of saying no to God's call on your life. No, I won't be what you want me to be uh, today. No, I won't receive this moment as a gift from you and surrender it back to you right now. No. You see, it's not obvious. It's not flagrant. It's not turning your back on God, but it amounts to saying no to God and no to God's will on your life. James 4 verse 17 says, anybody who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. Ever know the right thing to do and you still haven't done it? Hmm. It's saying no to God and it'll rob you of your life. So let me address two questions this morning as takeaways. One of them is, why do I do it? Why do I procrastinate when the cost is so high, when I know it'll keep me from being who God wants me to be, and it will prevent me from life? Why do I do it? And the second question is, how can I change? You know, how do I learn to live now? How do I learn to receive every moment of my life as a gift from God so I can offer it back to Him and live it as full as possible? So two questions. Why do I do it? How do I change? So let's take a look first at why I do it when the cost is so high. 
Let me give you five causes or five personality types that are factors that contribute to procrastination. First, the perfectionist. If that's you, you don't want to start or finish a job or a task until you're able to do it in a way that meets impossible high standards. So you find yourself putting off starting or finishing because you don't want to do it until it's perfect. And of course, it's never perfect. Listen to Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. You will wait the rest of your life. Well, I'm going to wait till I'm sure of the one I marry, and you'll be a senior citizen if then. Well, I'm going to wait till we can afford to have kids. Well, we've got four, and I can tell you, you'll never get there. If you decide to have them, just go ahead and have them. God will supply the need. That's all I know. If you wait till the right moment when the economy's perfect and gas prices are down, interest rates are low, and everything's in your favor to buy a home for the first time, you'll wait the rest of your life. Anything you decide to do, even that God calls you to do, will never be perfect conditions. It won't be. Now, you don't, of course, you want wise counsel. Of course, you don't want to violate your conscience or God's Word, of course. But he's still, you're not going to have all green lights because it would take no faith at all to step out and do something. Sometimes you just have to go for it. People ask me all the time, well, how do you know? And how do you know? Like I've got this magic ball that says, oh, you should do this. Sometimes I don't know. I just think about it, give it some thought, might talk it over with somebody, and then I just pull the trigger and go for it. Well, shoot. You can sit there and assess the rest of your life, but at least I'm going to do something. Something's going to happen. I may mess it up, but I'm making something happen. I'm not just going to sit there, be a sidewalk coach or critic, do something. You know, even if it's wrong, try something. Well, I might not be the right thing to do. Well, we'll get some counsel on it and, or just quit complaining about it and shut up. Just quit complaining, all right? If you're not going to try, then don't, then don't say anything. Just, just be quiet. Now, so if that's you waiting for perfect conditions, go home. Put a spoon in the fork pile in your drawer. Go ahead. Get liberated. Get somebody to mess up your hair. Just mess it up. I remember when Jimmy Johnson used to have that perfect hair, and when they won that Super Bowl, they all ran over, poured Gatorade on it, and messed up his hair. Just messed it up. It was liberating. It really, you know, just let dust accumulate on your dining room table and go over and write something on it. Just go ahead. I mean, if you're a perfectionist, you are going to always be miserable. So do you put off doing tasks until you can do them perfectly or until you find the perfect time to do them? Well, you'll procrastinate, and that's a cause. Here's another personality, the dreamer. The dreamer wants life to be easy and pleasant, like don't we all, right? I don't want any details, Rick. I I prefer to keep things vague and general and big and grandiose. And, you know, reality always involves those little details that I don't like. You'd be happy to balance your checkbook if it didn't involve so much darn math. So you wait until it's hopeless, then you open a new checking account someplace else. Wow. So, you want life to work easy, and the question here is, do I think too much about things I'd like to do, but I don't actually get around to doing them? The dreamer. And the third one is the crisis maker. 
You're the people who don't get motivated until you are in a crisis up to your neck. You have a psychological urge to live on the edge. Procrastination to you is actually a form of adventure. You're not motivated till the 11th hour. Now it's sink or swim, live or die. Like, you, you want to give the train a head start before you run for it so it has a sporting chance of getting away. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. You put off studying for an exam until the night before. So this kind of a person doesn't get the juices motivated until they're under significant pressure. And that's terrible. The question is, do I put off doing what needs to be done until there's a crisis? That, well, don't wait till there's the crisis in your marriage. Don't wait for a crisis in your health. Well, I'm going to I'm going to get on that diet. I know the doctor told me I got high blood pressure, but I'm going to wait until my first stroke, then, <laughs> then I'll get to it. Or I've got a problem financially, and you know, Bill Sitter has a class they offer for free, financial freedom, and I probably should get some advice, and I will just as soon as I get the first foreclosure notice or something. Yeah, people do that. Yes, they do that. They set, you, you sit back and say, my Lord, what are you thinking? Why do you do this? You wait for a crisis before you'll do anything. Then here's the third, fourth one, the defier. This is the defiant person. The fire is a rebel who wants to buck the rules. If that's you, you find yourself thinking, what's the government got any right to tell me I got to pay taxes by April 15th? I ought to be in charge of my life. So procrastination is how you've learned to assert your independence. So do I ever think I'm special? I don't need to do other things that people have to do. I'm unique. I'm special. I'm in my own category. I shouldn't have to follow those rules. The defier. So you don't do anything, and you again procrastinate. And then there's the overdoer. This is the person who takes on way too much stuff. You overload. You just pile it on. Put another load on my back. Yeah, I was thinking of the band, which was way back in the 60s, and they, there was a song called, get a load on it, get, put a load on me. What is that? I'll think of it in a minute. It'll come back to me. But they're unwilling to establish priorities. They don't know how to say no. I mean, they say yes. To, I'll pay for that. I'll buy that. I'll volunteer for that. I'll go to that. I'll be there. I you can't do everything. And there are some churches, if you did everything, you wouldn't even have a life. There's just too many activities. You're overcommitted. No human life can live that way. You've got to be able to say no. Jesus said two boundary words that will define the outcome of your life are yes and no. Maybe is not in there. Yes and no. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And your success is going to be determined primarily by what you say a lot of no to. A lot of non-productive, unimportant things crowd in on your life and put stress on you, and then you fall apart and nothing much gets done at all. You're overcommitted. You need to declutter your life a little bit. You need to unload stuff, sit down with a legal pad harshly and say, I don't need to, no, I don't need to do that. Every week invitations come in, somebody in town is having a rally, a prayer rally, a political rally, a sponsor this rally, an anti this rally, and they just come and Judy throws them at me and I say, nope, 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 nope. Why? I'm controlling my life. I am not going to burn out for your agenda. 
I'm going to control my agenda. I'm going to stay with where I think I could make a difference, where I think my interests and passions and gifts may lie. Beyond that, it's not bad. It's not me. No. Well, what will they think? I don't care what they think. They won't care about me. If my wife leaves me, if my kids go to jail, if my, uh, if my uh, health falls into disrepair, you think they'll care? They won't care at all. So why am I driving all over town to ever rally? I want to be seen. Do I need the, the uh, vindication of, or, or, or the sponsorship of, of somebody saying, oh, he was there, oh, he's a mover and a shaker? Now nah, you're going to die. Stop it. Say no. You think I can go to every wedding, every shower? Do you think a woman can answer? You get in a big church or in a big group, and everybody wants you to come to their wedding or their shower, or every kid's graduating and sends you a card wanting a check or a gift? How many can you do? I hope you're courteous enough to realize everybody can't say yes to that. You're close family. You're very close friends. But I get solicitations from kids, from people in the ministry that I've never met and don't know. What are you sending me a graduation card for? I don't care. I get Christmas cards from preachers with solicitation offering envelopes in them. What a sucky thing to do on Christmas. Give me an offering envelope for a Christmas card. Shame on you. I'm going to let my hair down and just tell you some stuff that goes on all the time. You wouldn't believe the nonsense that goes on. Well, Daddy has a big mailing list, so I'll send a graduation card to everybody on Daddy's list because he's pastor of the church. That's, that's crummy. And if I'm your parent, I'm going to say, no, you're not. No, you're not. And if you have a wedding, everybody in the church doesn't need to come, just your friends. It's your wedding. So it should just be not daddy's friends or mommy's friends, your friend. Well, I didn't get invited. Well, she don't know you. She doesn't hang out with you. Why should she invite you? And I just have to pay for another meal. Does this make sense? Yeah. So I say no. Everybody humor me at least. One, two, three, say no. No. Woo. That felt good, didn't it? No. Just say no. It's a great word, and you'll need how, but you young ladies need to learn to say it too. No, no, no. Learn to say it loud. And this is spring break, so you young adults use wisdom. You girls never go out alone. Go in a group. Don't leave a drink somewhere that can be somebody put something in it. Don't you ever leave that. Don't you drive drunk, buzz, or after drinking. You call Uber, you be smart. Don't run with a bunch of fools and end up wrecking or hurting your life. Don't do it. Okay? Uncle Ricky is talking to you. I love you. I want you back here. I don't want to lose kids, and we do every year around the country. People lose them at spring break. Lack of wisdom. Not being smart. Not thinking correctly. Don't let that happen to you. You know, God loves you, but you still got to have a brain. Okay. Sorry for the sermon. So what do you do you don't need to do? And you think you're going to get all of it done, that whole list of stuff. There's not enough time to do it. You haven't learned to tell time realistically. You're way too optimistic about what you can do. And as you get older, you have less energy to waste. So you want to make sure it what, what is that smart remark over there? I'm not going to burn up my energy on something that's not important. I want to make sure I measure what I do and give it my full throttle, give it my best. 
And that'll, that'll, that'll change in seasons of your life. And you just have to say, well, that's nice, but no. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. God bless you. Have a good time, but no. I'm just going to say no to a lot of stuff. You just have to, or you'll burn yourself out, and the enemy will be the only one rejoicing that you've just burned yourself out. So, they tell you, you can make it downtown in 12 minutes if there's no traffic. Like, when is there no traffic on 281? Please help me. See? And overdoing becomes a way of life. And the question is, do I commit myself to so many things, I can't find time for all of them? Now, how many of you would admit, if you're honest, to at least one of those five categories being a potential problem for you? Just go on. Look, okay, you're honest, and I love you for that. Thank you. You can work on this. So, the tendency is to live for someday to put off what needs to be done. That gets wired very deeply into us in our culture. So, you have to get real intentional and cultivate a brand new attitude in order to overcome this. So, let's talk about part two then. That's why we procrastinate. How do we change? Ready? Number one, today, stop excusing procrastination in your life. No more excuses. Zero tolerance. Chronic procrastinators rationalize their behavior on the grounds there is nothing they can do about it. And they tend to say, well, that's just the way I am, as though they inherit a genetic intruder that's making them be a procrastinator. That's not true. It's a choice. It's strictly a choice, okay? Chronic procrastinators will look for any pretext to excuse putting off something they don't want to do. You want a good one? Right out of the Bible. Proverbs 26, verse 13. The lazy man is full of excuses. I can't go to work. There might be a lion in the street. Try that on your boss tomorrow. I was thinking about coming, boss, but you know. A lion could be loose on 281 or I-10. That's right out of the Bible. So we'll latch on to any excuse to do what needs to be done. So step number one, decide I'm going to stop it. Determine you're going to take responsibility for your time, for your actions, and for your life. It's not up to somebody else. It's up to you. I can't make that choice for anybody but me. And you can only make it for yourself, right? No, and let me give you a good word of advice. Whatever you got to do tomorrow, do the hardest thing first. Do the most dreaded thing first, and the rest of the day is a breeze. I learned that 25 years ago. I do it to this day. With the worst possible, most dreaded thing you have to do, do it first. And you can breathe. It's a, it's a snap to do the rest of the day. Don't wait till the last, and then you'll say, well, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it someday, and it never happens. And I've learned from my grandfather, the great theologian, Luther Emmanuel Godwin Sr. Ricky, bad doesn't get better longer. It gets worse. Don't procrastinate. Okay, second thing to do. Number one, stop doing it, and that is a choice. That's not, you weren't born with that DNA. Second, commit to action. Commit to action. Start now. Where have you been procrastinating? Commit yourself to taking action immediately. James 4, verse 14. Boast not of tomorrow, for you don't know what today may bring forth. And you only have this moment, so seize this moment and get it done. 
Some people have made procrastination a way of life. They live in their own personal culture of delay, particularly in Southern California. I often go there. This was an article. I've used it before, but it's out of the Los Angeles Times. A buyer returned to his house where he grew up. He had been away 20 years. He goes into the attic. He finds his jacket. He had forgotten to take it with him 20 years ago. He put his hand in the pocket, pulls out a receipt for a pair of shoes he had taken in for repair 20 years ago, but he had forgotten to pick them up. So he goes where the repair shop used to be and finds out, hey, it's still here. In fact, the same guy is still working behind the counter that was there 20 years ago. So he hands the man the receipt for his shoes, and the man goes back into the work area, comes back to the counter and says, they'll be ready Friday. (laughs) A culture of delay. You're so used to it, you don't even notice it's abnormal. You get desensitized to it pretty soon, and you haven't noticed you aren't living now. So commit to action. Start today. And here's what you'll discover. Motivation will suddenly follow action. Don't wait for a feeling. Take the action, then the feeling will follow. That's the way life goes. It's true. If I wait till I feel like it, I may wait my entire life. And you won't have a great life if you always have to feel like doing something. God gives us clear Scripture. I may have to say, I'm sorry. I may not feel like it. Doesn't matter. There's clear Scripture. Apologize. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. And do it now. Don't do it six months after you've done it. Do it now. Do it as soon as you know something's wrong or that something is out of order. Take responsibility. Jump on it right now. And then last ruthlessly prioritize your life. You've got to decide what matters and what doesn't matter. And everything is not equal value. Come on. Everything's not equally important. What matters and what might mean my family, my children are more important to me than building the church. God says, I will build the church. Thank you. I'm not taking his job. I'm responsible for my wife and my children, my own personal life, first priority. I won't wreck my marriage for the church, and many ministers have. The church is not my mistress. I could sure pick a better one. Come on. That, uh, that. You know what I'm saying. I'm speaking spiritually, trying to use a natural. Some of you won't get it, but that's okay. So you got to make a decision from the heart so that your life reflects your values. What are your values? When people watch you, they discern what matters to you. When your kids watch you, they discern your values. You know, my, my, my father never wanted to go to church. He'd drop us off, then he'd go back home. And as a little boy, I remember thinking, well, shoot, if he doesn't want to go, how come I have to go? You see, you impart values. So I want my kids to know we're going to church. Number two, we're going to honor the Lord with our money. And number three, we're going to serve. And how you feel about it's got nothing to do with it. And when our girls got babysitting money when they were little or they got a birthday card and it had $20 in it, first thing we taught them to do is what we do. You'll tie that to the Lord or you'll sponsor a child for camp or something. You'll do that. And so they weren't like their heart wasn't in it. We were setting the tone for our values because you're living in my house, eating my food, spending my money, and even that allowance is my money. So you're going to honor the Lord with that money. 
That's a value. I want them to know God is important to me. You don't have to be religious, but God's important to me. We, family, are going to church. We, family, are going to help the poor. We, family, are going to serve in some way to help people make life better. Those are values, and they don't change no matter what your race or what your economic level is. Those are values. They stay with you. They're, they're unchangeable. These, these ought to be eternal if they're scriptural. If somebody had been watching your life or mine this last month, what would they discern about your values? What would your kids discern about your values, about what matters most to you and what doesn't? We can become so rushed we don't have time for life, for kindness, for serving, because we're just rushing through days, so much so we violate our basic values. That's the culture in which we live. We violate the values we claim to hold. A woman is in her car at a stoplight. The engine stalls. She can't get it started. She's tying up traffic. Light turns green. She gets out. She opens the hood. She doesn't know what to do. The man behind her is now just blowing his horn, blowing his horn. Hood up. She's out there in her heels, doesn't know what to do. So she walks back to the guy's car and she said, sir, I'm so sorry. I just don't know what else to do. She says, my car stalled, but I'll make you a deal. If you'll go up and look at my engine, I'll stay here and honk your horn. <laughs> Tragic. We violate our own values. See, if you're serious about living life now, you've got to ruthlessly prioritize your life. And you're going to have to say no to many things and learn to live with laser-like focus. An unfocused life is always an unproductive life. You got to zip that laser down like Paul. This one thing I do, and do it and get it done. Otherwise, you're all over the place and you get nothing done. USA Today did a survey and they in interviewed experts in every major field of life. How much time does the average person need to sleep? How much time do you need to exercise? How much time to read to your little children? What's the average time needed for a person who only wants to do the minimum? So they took all of that information from the experts on how much time you need to spend on key areas of life, and it came out to 36 hours a day. And there's only 24 hours in a day. So you can see right now, you got to be ruthless in saying, all that is not important. You're going to have to prioritize what is. You ever sat down and looked at your own activities and said, what, what really matters that I'm doing? What could I live without that would lighten the load, make life a little easier? Because nobody's going to do it for you. And then... I said last, but there's one more. The next step is understanding. Understanding your life on earth is very, very short. Very short. Every time I do a funeral or attend one, I am reminded life is temporary. We have funerals for children, for babies, for young adults, for mid midlife people, senior citizens. And nobody gets a promissory note on how long you'll live. How tragic when a parent has to bury a child. You know, in general life, it should be the other way around. Percy and Danell had to bury their daughter. James and Vita had to bury their daughter, Ingrid. Somebody else was reckless, took their life away. 
I don't understand that. All you can do is hold somebody, embrace somebody, and say, I love you, I care, and I have to rest on the fact that God loves me and that He doesn't explain why He allows certain things. And if people tell you He does, He doesn't. He just says, you have to trust me. I'm good, I'm righteous, I'm just, and I love you, and I trust Him. I don't know. I, I just have to trust Him. I have to say, okay, I don't know what the deal is between you and them, but everything between you and me is tight. We're still just fine. I love you. I trust you. When my time is up, whatever that may be, short or long, I'm ready. I don't understand it. I don't even like it. Jack Taylor, who used to be the pastor at Castle Hills Baptist Church and one of our dear friends, he, he, uh, he used to say that this old Scotsman one time said, Lord, I'm not surprised you got as few friends as you do the way you treat the ones you got. <laughs> Haven't you ever felt that way? Can't believe this is happening to me. It ought to happen to Dennis Rodman, but not me. I don't know. Even David in the Psalms wrote, Lord, why do the wicked prosper? See, those are questions that are valid, but God doesn't answer them all. You just have to trust Him. If He loves me, if He went to the cross to die for me, if He said, on your worst day, I'll never forsake you, I'll never abandon you, I have to trust. One day I'll understand. Right now I trust. I don't understand. I don't know the answer to that. And I think that's more appreciated by people than trying to come up with something, some nonsense that's not in the Bible to try to pacify somebody. And you say, well, I guess it'll just go away. It'll never go away. You lose a little child, you lose a loved one somewhere, that, that holds there forever. God brings grace, of course. But if you say, well, you don't think about it anymore, yeah, you do. You think about it every day. You think about it every birthday. You think about it when you see a picture. You think about it when you hear a, a certain song or music. It reminds you of time. I was sitting in Monty Williams' home. It's, it's a beautiful home. It was empty and so quiet. I've never been in his house with five kids when it was quiet, ever. And we're sitting at the table, and I said, Monty, there's a scripture that comes to me. I can't remember the address. It says, he being dead, yet speaks. You can be speaking after you're gone. And I said, I hear that woman's voice in this house, in my head, right now. And the hair on the back of my head, and Monty just began to sob. And then one of the girls came in, and my head was turned. And I heard a voice, and she sounds exactly like Ingrid. She's still talking. Eat your breakfast, clean that up, get that back in here. You can still hear mama pushing those children around, and they'll hear that voice till they're old women, and they have children and grandchildren. Now, you know, I just thought how fortunate I am to be 72 years old and in good health, but I'm not stupid. No matter how much barley green and wheat grass and supplements I take, and no matter how many times I go to the gym, I can get hit by a drunk driver, I could suddenly feel a pain, and the doctor does an MRI and says, I'm so sorry to tell you, it's stage four. It can happen to anybody. Now, you young people think you're bulletproof. You're not. And I'm telling you, life is very brief. Don't waste a moment of it. This is from Psalms 90. One through six, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight is like a day that just passed by, or like a short watch in the night. 
Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like new grass in the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. And he says our life is just like that, and yet it comes as a surprise for every generation. We're all born, we grow up, we grow old, and we all ask the same question. Where in the world did the time go? Right? How many saw the movie City Slickers with Billy Crystal? I love that. He's standing in front of a bunch of elementary kids in an elementary school talking to them about what he's learned about the passage of time in life. Watch the video clip. Value this time in your life, kids. Because this is the time in your life when you still have your choices. And it goes by so fast. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s are a blur. 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? 40s, you grow a little pot belly, you grow another chin. The music starts to get too loud. One of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. 50s, you have a minor surgery. You'll call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. 60s, you'll have a major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. The 70s, you and the wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. Start eating dinner at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You have lunch around 10, breakfast the night before. Spend most of your time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? The 80s, you'll have a major stroke. You end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand, but who you call mama. Any questions? <laughs> Life is like grass. It grows up, and it's gone. So the psalmist goes on to say, in light of that truth, Lord, teach us to number our days. Inventory your days. They're valuable. Don't waste them. Use them wisely. Don't throw away a single one. I close with this writing by a mom. It's called Reflections of a Parent. A mother's drying her seven-year-old daughter's hair after a bath on a Saturday night, and she reflects on that moment, and she numbers it. She writes, comb and dry, comb and dry. Soon I won't be able to do this anymore, you say to yourself knowing that the little straight bob must inevitably yield to grown-up hairstyles and ugly curlers. What will she be like at 14? Where will her hair be blowing at 16 and 18? You suppose boys will love to watch her hair blowing as you do now? Some of them will feel it on their face. One of them will marry her, and her hair will be perfect under the veil, and there will be her hair spread out on the pillow. And oh, you hate him a little. And you wonder, where is he at this moment, whether he'll be good to her? They will grow old together, and that golden brown hair will become gray, and you will be gone, and then she will be gone. All flesh is as grass. It's here for the moment. It flourishes, and then it's just gone. You'll be gone, and then she'll be gone. This very hair that now your fingers smooth and all the tears of the world swim for a second in your eyes as you snap the plug out of the socket suddenly and gather her into your arms, burying your face into her warm hair as if you could seal that moment against all time, but you can't. You can't seal this moment against all time because all of us are like grass. So, wise people, of all ages, come humbly before God, the God from everlasting to everlasting. And they say, God, 
because life is so precious and life is so brief. Teach me to number my days. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.